Hey, welcome to Southland City Church. Uh, I'm Jason, if we haven't met, and I'm really glad that you're here. If you're new here, maybe you're wondering what you just walked into. Uh, that's a fair question. Uh, one of the ways that we like to describe ourselves is a Jesus-centered community for believers and doubters and everyone who's a little bit of both. So hopefully you can find yourself somewhere in that spectrum and just know that whoever you are, wherever you've come from, uh, we're really uh, fiercely committed to creating the kind of place that you can call home. And I think if you hang out with us for a little bit, you'll see us trying to do that work. And if you see some way that we're failing in that regard, you could let us know and we'll work harder because we really believe in that. And we believe in that because we see Jesus doing it all the time in his life and his ministry, always making room for people at his table. Uh, that's what we're here for. And so I'm really glad that you were here. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of info on some stuff going on around our community right now as a church. And while I do that, our greeters are going to pass some baskets around. There's never any pressure. Uh, but if you'd like to make an offering, you can use the basket or you can go online to do that. And while they do, uh, let me tell you about one particular thing that's happening right now for our church that I'm really excited about. Uh, our community has grown uh, pretty quickly in the last year as we've started gathering on Sunday mornings and Tuesday nights and found a home here at Studebaker. And what that means is there's a, a number of opportunities that are right in front of us that we would like to seize, like get our hands on, uh, but we need some more bandwidth to get our hands on these opportunities. And what it means, uh, as I think about our church, is that we have more and more people who are part of this community who bring energies and passions and talents to this community and we're ready to do stuff together, uh, but we need uh, the right team to deploy and to equip and to help people have access to those opportunities. So uh, we are adding a new full-time staff member to our team. We mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago, but this, the search went live last Friday. So I want to remind you of this, uh, and we'll talk about it for a bit, and there's a few reasons here. Uh, we're looking for what we're calling an executive pastor, which may or may not be a phrase that uh, has any meaning to you at all. Uh, what we mean by an executive pastor is somebody who has towering gifts for strategy and operational leadership. This is the kind of person who can take a dream, turn it into a plan, and see it all the way through to completion. Uh, this may not be the kind of person who needs to ever be on a stage, but behind the scenes, they're like uh, a leadership rock star. Uh, this may not be a person who's had the word pastor in their job description before now, but it will most definitely be somebody who gets really excited about the idea of a church being faithful to Jesus and serving uh, what God's doing in the world. And if you get excited about that, uh, that might be the sort of inkling in your heart that this is uh, the right kind of role for you. Um, we're partnering with a group called Vanderbloom and Search Group, and there's a few reasons we're doing that. It's nice to introduce a little bit of objectivity to a search process like this. Uh, Vanderblumen will also uh, both help us get to know people who are a part of Southland City Church who might want to apply for the job, and they'll bring some outside candidates to the table. And it's just, I'll tell you, like, staffing can be really complicated in church, and sometimes it can feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack, and so it's just nice to bring some help and have more eyes on the search. So that's why we're using Vanderblumen. Uh, I'm telling you all about this for a few reasons. First of all, I want to say again that anything that you have done to help us get this far as the church, it really matters, and I'm really grateful. Anything you've done to volunteer, to, to carry the weight with us for a little bit, anything that you've done to share this community with a friend, anything that you've done to financially contribute, it all makes a difference. And right now, like, we get to take this next step because, especially because of that financial generosity. So just hear me saying thank you. It actually makes a difference when you give, and I'm really grateful. Uh, the second reason I want to tell you about this is because you or somebody you know or some network that you're a part of might yield the right person for the job. So we want to keep this in front of this community. Uh, you might be the person, uh, you might know someone who, as you read the description, like is a good fit, or you might have a network that you could share this with. If you go to the church's Facebook page, at the top of our Facebook uh, feed, you'll see that we've pinned a link to the search description with all the details about what kind of person would work for this role. So check that out, go home tonight. If the sermon gets boring, just open up your phone and take a look at it. Uh, but really, like I'd love for you to take a look at it, whether you're the person for the role or whether you know someone that might be a good fit, you could share it with them. We've got about two months here to get the word out and to get the search to all the right places before we start looking at a short list of people. So uh, up front here, we just want to push that as much as possible. Third reason I want to tell you about that is because tonight and over the next two months, I would love it if you would pray with me for the search. 
Uh, I feel like uh, we have an exceptional staff team at Southland City Church. Uh, we wouldn't have made it this far without the team that we have. And I wake up every day grateful, and I know that it makes a difference that we have the staff team that we have. And so as we add another full-time person to the team and ask that person to lead in really important ways for our church, uh, we're going to ask God for the right person at the right time, and we're going to pray to grow in wisdom and discernment as we start to think about who that might be. So whenever it comes to mind for you in the next couple of months, please pray with us, please pray for us, pray for that person. And tonight, I thought I would ask if you would pray with me before we go any further. So if, if you want to, you can join me, you can bow ahead, and I'm just gonna uh, open up a prayer for the search for our church. God, you have been really good to us. I look back on our brief history as a community and I just see how we have had everything we needed when we needed it. Uh, there were things that I thought we needed that we didn't have. And then I looked back and realized that you were wiser than us. And you have just met us at every step of this journey. And so I trust that kindness and I ask you to do it again. God, as we uh, consider the opportunities that are in front of us as a church and the burdens that we're called to carry as a church, uh, we are looking forward to another leader, another shepherd to come join us. As we consider uh, the complexity that grows as our church grows, as we consider uh, the mature and competent way that we want to go forward, uh, we pray that you would bring the right kind of leader to help us do that. Whoever you bring, God, we trust that they will be passionate about your church, that they'll have a deep desire within them to see us faithful and brave and alive as a community. God, whoever you bring, we trust that they will love the city of South Bend, that they will see that this is the place that we are called to as a church, and they'll wake up every day excited about that calling. And so in the next two months, God, I pray that you would get the word out to the right people at the right times. And then as we begin to look at names and faces and stories, I pray that you'd make us exceedingly wise and insightful. And we just look forward to what's next, God. Um, it feels like so much of uh, what we dreamed about is already right here in front of us, and so I think that means you're asking us to dream bigger dreams. And so we look forward to more dreams and new futures and for the right person. Uh, thanks for this church's generosity, God. I'm really grateful. And I pray that everyone who's gotten us this far would know what a difference it's made. And we pray through Christ, and we all said amen. Thank you, guys. Now, uh, I know we just maybe closed our eyes to pray, but I wanna uh, wrap up the thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. To get there, I wanna begin with a bit of an imagination exercise. So if it helps you to close your eyes, I'm gonna ask you to imagine something visual. And so uh, why don't you go for that? If you close your eyes, let me just ask you, if you could imagine what would a future look like where everything is exactly the way that God wants it to be? What would it look like when humanity is what, he, what God wants humanity to be? What would it look like when you and I are what God wants us to be? What would it look like when culture is what God wants culture to be? What would it look like um, when humanity is healed and whole, when humanity knows peace with one another and peace with God? What would it look like when all the potential that humanity holds within it is fully realized for good and none of the potential that we seem to harbor for bad is expressed anymore? Like, what does that picture look like? Let me just let you sit for a few seconds with that picture. Look around that future in your mind. What do you see? Who do you see? What does it feel like? What's the energy of it? What's the, the, uh, the noise there? Is there any noise? Is it indoors, outdoors? Uh, just sit with that imagination for a moment and see what you come up with. Uh, sometimes when I, when I do that kind of work myself, I imagine um, like a deep woods because there's a woods that I like to go to on my day off and walk around and it's a very like peaceful place and when I go there, I feel all this life around me. So sometimes I go to that kind of direction. Uh, sometimes when I imagine that future, I just think specifically of a few people that I love and hold very close in my life and I think about some of the things that hold them back or that are difficult for them, and I imagine those things being resolved and healed. Like, so I have those kind of directions. But I wonder tonight, did anybody, when you looked around that future in your mind, did anybody imagine a city? Yeah, we got a couple here or there. Yeah, we have some imagining of a city, some urbanites in the room. Uh, I wanna talk a little bit 
about cities. It's interesting that in the scriptures, uh, we have this picture in Revelation. So Genesis is the beginning of the whole story of the Bible, and we looked at this a little while ago in the life of our church. And one of the features of that original scene that God creates in Genesis is this tree called the tree of life. And the tree of life shows up again in the scriptures. There's one or two other places. And then at the very end of the scriptures, we hear again about the tree of life. This is Revelation 22. Uh, John has this vision. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So it seems that like in the scriptural imagination, you start with this, this tree in a garden and then over like a thousand pages in my scripture, you see this kind of harrowing journey of humanity sort of working out its difficulties and its faith. And at the end of the story, you're still in that place where there's a tree called life, but instead of a garden growing up around the tree, a whole city has grown up around that tree. Like as if to say in the scriptural imagination, when all of the best energies that God put in us, when he married dust and divine breath in that garden, when he like set all of this loose, when you make all of that go forward and you see it at its best and fullest future, in the imagination of scriptures, you find yourself in a city. So I wanna to talk today a little bit about a city as a theological, spiritual thing. Now before I go any further, um, this is one of the ways that scripture imagines God's good future. I'm not saying um, that cities are the best kinds of places and other kinds of places don't matter as much to God or aren't as meaningful in the biblical story. So don't hear that in what I'm saying, okay? Uh, but today I, I wanna explicitly talk about what a city uh, is, what's at stake in a city, uh, what we might say theologically or spiritually about a city because we've been talking about being South Bend City Church, we find ourselves in a city. Now it's interesting, uh, cities are growing more and more consequential as more and more of the world population moves into cities. In the year 1900, something like 10% of the world population lived in cities. So if you lived in a city in the year 1900, you were odd, right? You were a small minority of humanity living a strange sort of human experience. In the year 2005, that had gone from 10% to 50% of the world's population living in cities. And in the year 2050, that number is projected to be 70%. So like the whole human story is moving towards cities more and more in the modern world. So much so that uh, one demographic researcher named Richard Florida writes in the Wall Street Journal and he says, you could call this last century the century of the city. If you were like looking for the theme of human history that marked the last hundred years, he argues that you would call it the century of the city. Now, uh, this could be a good thing. Because one thing that you can say about cities as more and more humanity moves to cities is that cities are really good at unleashing human potential. Creativity, productivity, economics, like they all tend to heat up when you find yourself in a city. And even this idea is reflected in the scriptures in ways that you might not expect. So this is way back in Genesis 4. And we read uh, what you could interpret as a statement about the advent of creativity and culture in human consciousness. This is Genesis chapter 4 where we read this. Jubal was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. So we're talking about the sort of birth of music or creativity in human culture. And then we read Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. So you have arts and music and you have a sort of industrious approach to raw materials to make useful things. And there's a context for all of this advent of human culture. The context is one paragraph earlier where we read that Cain was then building a city. Cities uh, tend to accelerate the unleashing of human potential, creativity, economic opportunity. Like you see cities heating that kind of stuff up. And in fact, researchers can document this today. There's a group called the Santa Fe Institute who researches complex systems science. And wherever they find complex systems, they do some science and some research. And they apply complex system science to cities. And they've demonstrated convincingly that, for example, when you double the population of a city, you more than double its creative and economic output. When you double the population of a city, you more than double its creative and economic output. This is a predictable result. When human beings get together in dense places, you see that kind of thing happening. Side note, this doesn't really help the sermon at all, but I find it fascinating. They also argue that if you give the researchers at the Santa Fe Institute the population of a city, but tell them nothing else, don't tell them where in the world it's located, don't tell them how the city is designed, they can accurately predict the mean pace at which people walk. 
the average pace at which people walk. And, and they would say that the bigger the city, the more population, things literally speed up. They heat up. They call it the metabolic rate of a city. That it's consuming more, yes, but it's also producing more. There's more output to it. There's more energy when you put people together. When you have a city, you get more than the sum of its parts because I take your creativity and mine, put them together in a city, and you get more than the addition of your creativity and mine. You get this exponential growth. They call it super linear scaling. So picture a line graph, right? And if you've got, uh, on one axis, you've got the number of people in the city, and on the other axis, you've got the economic or creative output of the city. If that were a straight line on the diagonal, that would be linear scaling. This isn't, it's a curved line, it's an exponential increase. Cities unleash human potential. And you've probably felt that, whether it's here in South Bend, or you go to Chicago for the weekend, you sense there's an energy, there's connection, there's exchange happening. Cities are really good at bringing you together with people of like different experiences. And uh, this is co in contrast, for example, to suburbs, and this is not a knock on a suburb, but life in a suburb is less likely to uh, have you run into somebody of a radically different life background, race, education, economic experience. Right? I mean, that's just sort of obvious on the face of it. And that's not a dig on suburbs, but there's a reality in cities that they're really good at causing people to collide of causing different experiences and backgrounds and races and educations to come together to cross-pollinate. And that seems to create this sort of increased, unleashed potential. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. I think cities are really, really good. Uh, cities are a place uh, where we meet one another, where we exchange, and that exchange creates an increasing amount of human good. You, you also find in cities uh, that cities are not just a place where the residents of said city find each other, collide, collaborate, and produce more. Cities tend to be the places where persons from many places find themselves. So I've experienced this like when I go to Nashville, which is a place that I visit a lot. I'll go to Nashville, and I don't just see people from Nashville running into each other, collaborating, colliding, producing new cultural goods. You go to Nashville, and it's like, hey, where are you from? And it's, oh, I'm here from, from New York City for the weekend. I'm just here to collaborate for a bit. Where are you from? Oh, I'm here for, from LA for a couple of weeks. I'm just doing some collaboration with some other people. So cities are not just places of exchange for the people who call that city home. Cities tend to accelerate exchange between people of that place and people of other places, and that tends to drive up the, the energy, the rate of creative good. So I'm a big fan of cities. This seems to be part of what's at stake in humans moving more and more to cities. You can anticipate that you're gonna see more economic output, more creativity, more new ideas. And by the way, this explains why people who don't live in cities still have their lives marked disproportionately by cities, because the the fashion that you wear, the ideas that you consume, the entertainment that you pay attention to, more likely than not can be traced back to an urban dense place where more of those kinds of things are generated. Cities are high stakes. They're growing like crazy. This can be a good thing because of all the good they produce, but they don't just produce good. The Santa Fe Institute, the same factor that they observe in the increased rate of productivity and creativity also applies to crime. So they observe that when you double the population of a city, you get more than double the crime. It's interesting in the scriptures you see um, that cities are spoken of and spoken to actually like on a really regular basis. If you, if, you, like, if you read through the Bible and you looked for the way the Bible thinks about and talks about cities, you would start to observe some things that I think are easy to just read right past when you're not asking that question. So like, just pay attention to the way that a city is spoken about, like here in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a man who's called to the city of Nineveh to minister to the city and to call them to wake up to realize that the way they are living isn't good and it's not what God wants. Now, Jonah's not part of the city of Nineveh. Jonah's not part of the people that we call Nineveh home. And at this time, Nineveh would have been um, a, like a globally important place for these people. It would have been uh, like one of the important mega cities of that ancient world. This would be like uh, hearing um, New York City mentioned today. It would, it would sort of ring all those bells. And Jonah doesn't want to go there because they're not his people, and he's not for their renewal or their repentance, and he's afraid of what will happen to him when he gets there. And then God speaks to him at the end of this, this curious little book in the Bible and says, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left? So God, like... 
He has a concern not just for the persons, but for the city. Like the city has a stake for God. And the city has a kind of moral character or a kind of spiritual darkness about it that matters to God. You heard that there, right? What about uh, in the New Testament when Jesus uh, speaks uh, to a city? He looks out upon a city, like in Luke chapter 19. And this is uh, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, just, just kind of picture that, if you will. Uh, the route that he takes, he's probably coming over a hill. As he looks down into the city, he sees the city, and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Uh, Jesus sees a city, and he weeps over it. And it's like he's saying there's something sick or unwell in this city. There's something not quite right with this city, and it breaks his heart, and he speaks to the city. And so what I kind of want to like ask, like what I want to propose with you is, if, if cities matter that much, if the stakes are that high on cities, if cities create things, for better or for worse, and if, like in the scriptures, we see God speaking to cities and describing cities with a kind of moral character or consequence, if we see Jesus weeping over a city, it makes me wonder, would it be crazy? Could you think about a city as having something like a soul? Could you think of a city as having something like a soul? And if you could think of a city as having something like a soul, then could you ask questions like, how is it with the soul of the city? In the last uh, few weeks, we started, Ryan uh, preached really helpfully on ways of loving our neighbors. And he preached from the book of Acts about that story with the apostles and the beggar, about specifically and clearly loving our neighbors, these individual persons that we find in our lives. Last week, we sort of upped our lens a little bit and we heard from community partners who are working with different constituencies within the city. Today, I wanna raise our vision to a third level and talk about the whole and ask like, does a city have a spirituality? Does a city have a heart? Does a city have a soul? And if it does, could we ask, is it well? Is it okay? Like, what is, the, what is the character or the state of the soul of our city? When I first uh, sort of went public with the idea that I would be uh, putting a church in South Bend somewhere, this peculiar pattern emerged in my interaction with people from the city of South Bend. So there was one particular weekend where uh, I stood on a stage in front of a lot of people and told them that I was going to be starting a church in the city of South Bend. And I put it on my little blog website and put it on social media. That's one weekend. The following Friday night, I'm at a bar downtown South Bend to hear some music. And I'm there by myself, and I get, I get cornered by six people I've never met. And these six people walk up to me, and they say, hey, are you the guy who's putting the church in South Bend? And I'm like, I am. This is great. I don't, even, I don't have a mailing list yet, but if you want to write a check, uh, leave, leave the pay to the order a blank, and as soon as we get a name for it, I'll tell you what you can you know, give it to I dramatically misinterpreted the situation. Because <laughs> they start interrogating me with a level of suspicion that was like palpable. They're like, why are you doing that? What's your game, dude? Why, wh who, who do you think you are? Why you put a church in the city? My next thought is, oh, these people aren't cool with the Christians. And I'm like, that's okay, that's great. Neither am I sometimes, right? Like, that's great. Like, I think we would actually be friends. Maybe you'd find a home at my church because like, I'm all for all kinds of people and maybe you have some presumptions about maybe what I'm bringing to this and I'd like to surprise you because they may not all be true. And then I find out, oh no, it's not that they're not cool with the Christians. They are the Christians in South Bend. These are some of my brothers and sisters in the city and they don't know me or my story, um, but they're really suspicious. They don't know that I spent like almost half of my entire life living in a low-income neighborhood in South Bend. They don't know uh, my connection to the city. They just have this sort of suspicion, like, what are you, what's your game, buddy? What are you doing? Why, why would you do that here? A few days later, I'm at a lunch meeting with a leader from the city of South Bend. This is not one of the Christians. Just, uh, this is a, a city leader in the city of South Bend, and he's heard what I'm up to, and so we decide that we're going to have a lunch. And I don't know this person yet, but he knows a little bit about me because he's read some stuff about me online, and he's followed a bit of my work. And so we're having a lunch, and we get past the pleasantries, and then we get down to the core business of his agenda, which I was not aware of. And then he asked me, he says, hey, why South Bend? Why, why are you doing this here? I said, I don't know, Des Moines taken? Like, I, no, I, I didn't say that. I said, 
I was perplexed by this question. He, he pushed further into that same line of question. Why are you doing this here? He's, he says, I know that you go, you speak in other places. It seems like you could have done this in another place. Why are you doing this here? And I'm thinking, do you not, do you not want me here? I, I, I'm like really confused at this point. I'm going home frustrated and angry, feeling a little rejected by like my own, my own town, you know? Three, four, five times in a row this happens in meetings and conversations with people from the city of South Bend. And the more I hear these questions and suspicions, the more my awareness shifts. And all of a sudden I realize South Bend is a place that doesn't think anybody would want to stay here if they had any way out. And they're suspicious because they assume I must have some ulterior motive because nobody would stay here if they didn't have to. I began to think about the soul of my city. And I thought, if I met a person who didn't trust me, who was suspicious of me as I tried to befriend them, I would think, oh, there's some woundedness there. There are some deep hurts with this person. There's a reason they're suspicious of me and my friendship because something in their history has taught them that. And so I thought if that would be the case with a person whose soul is hurting, and if it's true that all these questions actually come from a hurting place, then maybe I could ask questions about the history of my city that would tell me something about the state of the soul of my city. And so I started doing a bunch of reading and I tried to learn about the history of the place that we call South Bend. I read about the indigenous peoples, the First Nations peoples who were here long before any European immigrants arrived, the Miami and the Potawatomi tribes, and how this was their homeland until they were forcefully removed in the 1840s. I read about uh, that day when this was uh, incorporated with like 108 people. Guys, we've come a long way. I know we feel like we've got a lot ways to go, but 108 people, they incorporate the thing. I read about the fur traders that came over from Europe and found the river to be a useful transfer, transportation route, and apparently there were many furry things in the woods around here, and so it was a, a fruitful place for them to be. I read about uh, Notre Dame showing up, which, of course, uh, today it's easy to think of Notre Dame as this very illustrious, uh, esteemed, wealthy, elite place. But of course it didn't start that way. It started as this rugged little wilderness refuge for European Catholics to have an education. When by the way, at that time, European Catholics were seen through the same suspicious lens that Latino immigrants are seen as today. So all these waspy Protestants on the East Coast see these European Catholic immigrants coming over and they don't wanna make a home for them on the coast. So they end up here in the middle of nowhere at this little Catholic university. And then that thing grows up and becomes Notre Dame. I read about uh, the day when the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan decided that they would make South Bend their turf. And as they were getting ready to hold a rally, they had men in hoods stationed on every street corner directing traffic. And by the way, it was the Notre Dame students who left campus and came down to the city and said, not in our city. And they started unhooding, derobing the Ku Klux Klan members so they would be exposed for who they were. This is true. You can look this up. Newt Rockney himself had to come from campus down to the city to get the students to go back before a riot broke out in the streets of South Bend. I read about uh, other aspects of our difficult and... Um, ignoble history with race in the city of South Bend. We can talk about race in the abstract. South Bend has a particular history of racial injustice, a particular history of redlining, which shaped the neighborhoods and pushed different populations to different parts of the city so the whites and the people with money could, could stay where they wanted and keep the others away. I read about the manufacturing uh, that got uh, turned up in the city of South Bend and how this became a fantastic place for manufacturing, which by the way, manufacturing in the 18 and the 1900s is a little bit like tech today. It was some of the brightest minds doing some of the most impressive work in the world. We had it right here in South Bend. You're sitting on the floor of a factory for what was one of the country's greatest car brands. That was right here in South Bend. I read about how that, that manufacturing sector, and specifically Studebaker cars, took more and more of a foothold of the economic well-being of this city, which meant that in 1963, 1964, when Studebaker was shutting down, and in one day, something like 30,000 people lost their livelihood in a city of 150,000, it meant like the lights just went out, right? And that for the last 50 years, this has been the kind of place that nobody would understand why anybody would want to stay here. And it's like um, I began to sort of feel the soul of a city that's been kicked around and beat up, looked down upon. And then I remembered back in 2011 um, when I read a headline in Newsweek magazine that listed the 10 most dying cities in America. And number nine was my city, South Bend. 
And I remember when that happened in 2011, I, I didn't like it. I was a little annoyed by it. But in 2011, I hadn't come to think of the soul of a city. I had mostly thought about a city as a place that I call home and a place I'd like to go out for a beer with my friends on a Friday night. Um, but then in these last couple of years, as we've gotten South and City Church going and I've tried to understand the soul of our city and I returned to that headline, I had a very different feeling when I read that headline again. And the feeling I had was my heart broke Because when you love someone and you see them beat up and looked down upon, you know that it's hurting their soul. And I think when you love a city and you see it kicked around and beat up on and made fun of and looked down on, and you think your city has a soul to it, uh, you might be heartbroken for the wounds that it sustains in that history. And so I... Um, I began to have a very different feeling about those people who were suspicious of me. I began to empathize with them. And I began to think about what should South Bend City Church be? And I wanna say this again today, and Ryan was good about saying this two weeks ago, but I wanna reiterate it. Not everybody who's a part of South Bend City Church is a part of South Bend. We love that. Um, but we are also kind of particular about our calling to the city of South Bend. And that's for a reason. It's because imagine, if you will, that you're a mom or a dad and your son or your daughter crawls up in your lap and looks you in the eye and says, mom, dad, do you love me? Imagine if you break eye contact with your child, look out upon the household and say, I love all my children. It might be true, but wouldn't it utterly fail at what love would look like in that moment? Because I don't believe love is exclusive, but I believe love is always particular. And I think we're called to a particular love. So I imagined uh, South Bend City Church and I thought to myself, I did a little thought experiment. I said, I imagine uh, somebody from some other place, I kidnap them, I put a blindfold on them and I throw them on an airplane and I don't tell them where I'm taking them and maybe they've got earplugs in so they can't hear the flight attendant tell them that we're arriving at SBN, right? And we get them off the plane, we keep the blindfold on, we put them in a car, we drive them through the streets of South Bend but they still have no idea where in the United States they are. We bring them to the front door of South Bend City Church and walk them into a gathering but let's say they never saw the sign that said South Bend City Church. So all they know is what they see and hear of our community when we gather. I asked myself, would they know that they were in South Bend? And I thought to myself, if they wouldn't, We've failed because love is particular. And we are here to particularly love the place that we are called to as a church. And the place that we are called to as a church is South Bend. Now, if you find another place home, if you call another place home, I love that. I hope that you will take the same attitude to the place that you call home, your neighborhood, your town, your village, your county, what, wherever you call home, I hope that you will feel a stirring up to particular love. I hope you will ask yourself, like, how is the soul of the place that I call home? What is the soul of my neighborhood like? What is the spirit of the place that I call home? Is it vibrant and alive? Is it wounded and aching? What is it like? And what can I do to love it toward wholeness or healing as a church? We are here to love the soul of our city toward wholeness and healing. And by the way, that thing about particular love is particular for me because I learned it from Jesus. Uh, in the Christian tradition, we say that uh, Jesus reveals God and that Jesus perfectly reveals the love of God. And Jesus is about as particular as you can get. If you imagine um, the deity, the divine, expressing itself on planet Earth, I don't know that you can get any more narrow in particular than a body of one man walking around in one place at one time. But it seems that God knows that if he would reveal his love, it has to be particular. So it was Jesus, it was a man in place and time. Love is particular and we are here to be particular to love the soul of our city. So, uh, We've talked about neighbors and we've talked about community partners, but today I wanted to propose that we would also just as a community, like take responsibility for the soul of our city. And by that, I don't mean something separate from economics. I don't mean something separate from uh, culture and food and drink and bodies and neighborhoods, but I do mean something that's more than just those things. I mean something that transcends and includes particularities and bodies and physical needs. I mean that which includes all of that but transcends it that we ought to have some vision for if we believe the things that we say we believe as a community. 
that we ought to see the depth of our city, that there's a heart in our city that is more than simply what you can touch and taste and see, right? That there's more to it here. And I'm saying, like, what if we were the ones who said, we're here to look out for that? We're here to fight for that. We're here to protect that. We're here to care about that. And wherever we see the soul of our city wounded or hurting, we're here to do something about it because we take responsibility for the soul of our city. We're not the only ones. Um, There are many faithful communities taking responsibility for the soul of our city, but we ought to as well. There's a a passage in the scriptures uh, that we're all way too familiar with, and I feel like we only know it for one context. Uh, It's 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which speaks of love. And by the way, love is what I think heals a soul. I think a well-loved soul will be a a healthy soul. I think out of a well-loved soul will come good and beautiful things. And I think love can heal the wounds of a soul. And so I've been thinking this week, um, if we want to get clear on what it means to love our city, I wonder if this passage could be read through the lens of the city. So I want to share 1 Corinthians 13 with you. And I want to ask, what would it mean if this applied to, to our posture toward our city? toward the place that you call home, whether it's South Bend or someplace else, what would it mean to apply this to the community and the place that you call home? Love is patient. Are we patient with our city? I think this is actually a moment in time when it could be hard to be patient with our city because we want it to get fixed. We want it to like, get all the way through the turnaround, right? But are we patient with our city? It takes a long time for a soul to heal. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Are we just here to extract or take what we can get from the city? Is the city simply an instrument to get what we want? Love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Now maybe you've not thought of yourself as keeping a record of the wrongs that your city has committed against you. But I actually think that a lot of us can begin to develop a chip on our shoulder against the place that we call home. There are little ways that we've been disappointed or let down, frustrated or hurt by the place that we call home. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Watch this now. Do we want the whole truth of our city? Do we want to understand the whole truth of our city? Do we want to know about the um, difficult parts of our history, the injustices that have brought us to the current moment that we live in and the wounds that our city bears? Do we want the whole truth of our city? When some parts of our city are getting ahead and other parts are being left behind, do we want the whole truth of our city or just the really exciting headlines that make us feel a little better about calling South Bend home today? Love wants the truth. Love always protects What if we are here to protect our city? What if we are here to stand up anytime we see anything hurting our city? What if we are here to say, no, not on our watch, not in our town, not in our home. If it hurts our city, if it hurts the people of our city, if it hurts the soul of our city, we are gonna stand up and do something about it because that's what love does. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, And their hope and persevere really stand out to me. I'm not talking about a naive kind of hope, but I mean a deeply grounded hope, which comes from our lives rooted in the places that we call home, that we know uh, the assets that God has given our city. We know the riches of our city, and we actually believe the future where those things are, are flourishing and brought to their fullness. And love always perseveres. Like, I'm not saying you can't ever leave South Bend, right? We're not gonna lock the doors on you tonight. But I do wonder if some of us uh, ought to stick around a little longer, ought to have good faith a little longer, ought to hold out a little longer because love perseveres. And then the scripture says, love never fails. And I really believe this. Um, As we think about the well-being of our city, And the fact that a a healthy city with a healthy soul is probably going to contribute to more flourishing for more people who matter to God, right? As we think about the well-being of our city and what's going to help it grow whole and healed, 
I'm all for the smartest political leadership we can get. I'm all for great public policy. I'm all for great economic development. I'm all for great restaurant owners and venue owners. I'm, like, I'm all for all of that. I believe economics matter, and I believe they're affected by and they affect the soul of the city. I think bodies matter and neighborhoods matter. I think all of these tangible, concrete, uh, productive ways of being a part of the city matter, and we will always look for ways to be a part of those things. But I actually believe that loving the city, both tangibly and intangibly, like loving the city will not fail to help heal the soul of our city. Or in those early days with the church, as I began to feel like the soul of our city is kind of sick and, and beaten up, and that, and that much of what seems to fall short in our city is a symptom of a soul that is hurting in our city. As I began to feel that way, I, um, I would go to a, a rooftop of a parking garage, often at sunset, and I would just kind of look in every direction. And I know this might sound a little woo-woo to you. It's okay. Like, you can think I'm a, a freak. That's fine. Um, but I would sit up there, and I would pray, and I would um, try to kind of sense the soul of our city. And I would just sort of um, feel and try to move toward an experience of God's love for the city, which is a little bit like sort of swimming in a current, right? There's a current that I believe, which is God's love, which is always moving toward our city. And I would just try to sort of be present to that current, you know? And as I would do that, I would, I would kind of, and this is strange, I know, but I would kind of picture the city as a person, the whole city. And I pictured myself sort of um, facing that, that person and their head is hanging down, right? the way that you do when you're ashamed or you're afraid. And their head's hanging down, and I would picture um, that head slowly being lifted up, that chin slowly coming back up in a healthy kind of pride and joy as that person was well-loved. Not the kind of transformation that happens in a moment, but the kind of deep, slow healing that happens when anyone is well-loved. And I pictured the city of South Bend slowly raising its head as it's well-loved. And I thought, maybe our church could be part of that. Maybe we could be one of the communities that cares for the soul of our city. Maybe we could be people who wake up every day and we ask, how is the soul of South Bend? Where is it hurting? Where does it need healing? Where is it alive and vibrant? Where can we celebrate it and cheer for it, enjoy it? Because there are parts of our city that are alive and, and good, but like, like we could be people who tend to the soul of our city and who love it toward life and health. And so I'm really serious about this, whether South Bend's your home or someplace else, I'm asking like, would you consider yourself a keeper of the soul of that place? Would you consider yourself a steward of the heart of that place? Would you consider yourself a, a protector and a lover of that place to see it made whole? Uh, two weeks ago, Dan led us in a bit of a guided prayer. And it was a prayer about the place that we call home. And it was imaginative and it was inviting God to sort of lead our thoughts. And I asked him today if he would actually lead us in the exact same prayer. Because what I hope is that for anybody who's been around for the last two or three weeks of our gatherings, even, even this short period of time, I hope that a little bit has shifted for us. Maybe we've started to see things a little more than we used to or a little differently than we used to. Maybe we're a little more sensitive or tuned in than we were just two weeks ago. So I thought, what if we returned to the same prayer that we prayed two weeks ago and we just sort of moved through the prayer, but we observed, has anything gotten turned up in our hearts? Has any awareness or sensitivity grown within us? Have we moved with greater compassion toward the place that we call home? And do we feel that as we pray? So I asked Dan if he would lead us in this again. Uh, before he does uh, the standard disclaimer for the space that we create in these gatherings, which is uh, if God's not a word that works for you, if prayer's not a word that works for you, that's okay. I think you could meet me halfway on this. I think you could still let these prompts sort of open up some reflection for you and use this space uh, in a fruitful way in the next few minutes as Dan leads us. Dan. If you would find a comfortable position, that might mean feet flat on the floor, hands open in your lap, take a few deep breaths. Close your eyes and imagine a physical location that represents the city for you. 
could be the office where you work, could be your kid's school, could be your favorite coffee shop, a street that you drive down every day. Just imagine that place that represents the city for you. Now imagine the people that inhabit that space. The faces you see at work, the people you pass on the streets, the people you run into at the grocery store. Maybe you know their names, maybe you don't. But spend a few moments imagining the struggles and the burdens that they might be carrying. We want to practice empathy. We want to practice hurting on behalf of others. And so spend a moment imagining the struggles that the people of our city carry. Over the past few weeks, we've heard about the struggles of our city, about the overburdened foster care system, opioid crisis, our hurting schools. But Jeremiah 29, seven says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And so now I'd like us to imagine a better way Imagine a city of peace and prosperity, of shalom, of wholeness. What does that look like for those faces and names that you imagined? Name some specific things that are present or absent in this city of wholeness. Spend a few moments prayerfully imagining a better way for our neighbors and our city. What did you imagine? Did you imagine that everyone in the city has access to health care? That they have access to food and shelter? Did you imagine relationships being healed and restored? Did you imagine schools that are safe and thriving? What did you imagine in this city that's been loved back to life? in this city made whole. And now finally, ask yourself this question. How might I be a part of the thriving of this city? How might my gifts and talents align with the needs and hurts of our city? You don't need to come up with an action plan in the moments we have together, but just open that door, start that thought process. How can I be a part of loving this city back to wholeness? 
How can I show my city the love of God? God, we want to love our city well. Please help us and guide us. Give us courage and perseverance. Give us wisdom. God, break our hearts for what breaks your heart and help us to love others as you have loved us. It's through Christ that we pray. Uh, before you go, a couple of things. Um, first of all, our very own beloved Bree has a birthday, and she brought some cupcakes to hang out afterwards. So uh, I think I can speak on behalf of Bree and say, get yourself a cupcake and celebrate. Um, also, uh, one of our mantras around here is practice is not performances. And so part of that is to say, we don't feel like you have to prove anything or perform anything for God or for us. So that's the not performances part. But having been liberated from the need to prove anything or perform anything, there's the practice part, which is to actually not just hear a sermon or think about a good idea, but to move through patterns and practices that grow us up into this way that Jesus is teaching us. And so we have all sorts of ways of doing that, whether it's singing songs or meditative reflections. Uh, we also have a sort of practice corner over here, and I want to draw your attention to it because of what we've been talking about. That map in the corner is actually a place to practice exactly what I was talking about. So we've, we've uh, approached that formally in a gathering program, but any time, any week, you're always welcome to go over there. What you'll find is that that's a map of the city of South Bend, and that people have taken the little cards, which are in the little holder next to the map, and there's pens there, and pins, and strings. You find a place on the map that you delight in in South Bend, a place on the map where you sense some goodness in South Bend, something blessed, something good in South Bend that you just want to celebrate, and you just pin it, and you can name it, or describe it, or write a little bit on the card about what is it about that place that you delight in. Um, it's sort of a way of, sort of reminding ourselves within this space that we are here to uh, love the city well. And it's also just a way of practicing actually asking yourself, like, when's the last time you looked around the place that you call home and you said, there's something good here, there's something beautiful here, and I'm going to celebrate it. So even tonight, if you want, uh, over the next few weeks, I'd encourage you to go over to the map, see what other people have celebrated, and then if you want to add something to it, uh, that'd be really good. Uh, I think that's it for tonight. Uh, thanks for uh, being with us here. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. I love you guys. See you next week.